0: that would be crazy. But we're going to meet a man today who did just that. We're going to meet a man who just gave up everything. Now, when you walked in this morning, you probably said Harrigan's preaching because they're handing out bowls. (laughs) He's got props. You have a bowl, I hope. Now, as we go through, you'll understand what that bowl means, especially at the end of the sermon. You'll say, oh, okay, I get it. Or maybe you won't, because maybe I'm not (laughs) that good. But just hold on to that bowl and look at the little thing that's inside of it. Look Look at the word and just think about that. Now, if you turn to Hebrews 11, and I don't know the page, I'm sorry, but it's Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, as him as good as dead at that. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was offering up his one and only, his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also rebe- received him back as a type. And without faith, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Heavenly Father, oh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us so much and that every single one of us, as we were born, came into this world sin-stained, dead, unable to have a relationship without you, without your grace and without your mercy. And you have given us a birthright. You have given us that grace and that mercy through the blood that we shed on the cross. And if we believe in that, that Jesus, you rose again on the third day for us and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and if we believe in that and trust in that and turn from our sins, well, we have a birthright. And we need to honor that. Help us to do that this morning, Lord. In Jesus' precious, Jesus' awesome name. Amen. Now, I gave you the background in Hebrews 11. And the amazing thing that happens is that it doesn't end there. Is that there are generations that come from Abraham, that he has Isaac, and that there is Jacob. And it's an amazing thing how God works. We could live in the moment and be overwhelmed. But know that God is working. He is working even though we can't see it. And we know that he was working the life of Isaac. And we know that when he was 40 years old, God gave him a wife, Rebecca. But we know also that Isaac was the kind of man that was honoring to God. He had laid there where his father was going to sacrifice him. And he didn't fight. When God wanted to give him a wife, he said, Okay. So he is a humble man, letting God have control and sovereignty in his life. And we see that he, he's here in, in the verses that we're going to go over. It's in Genesis, chapter 25, verses 19 to 34. And in those verses, it's amazing to see what God has done, to see that God is in control. And I keep saying that over and over again, because I keep trying to get it into my mind and get it into my heart to know that God's in control of my life. And we see that Isaac goes to God. And he goes to God to pray because his wife, just like his mom, is unable to have children, that she is barren, that she cannot have children. But you see, Isaac, again, does the right thing. He goes to God. He cries out to God for his wife. God, please help my wife. Please help her, and God answers that prayer, and she conceives. But uh, many times when you pray, and when I pray, we get answers from God, and then we say, God, what in the world? That's not what I asked for, or not exactly what I asked for. And we see Rebecca, she's pregnant, but she almost gets to the point where there's an amazing war happening inside of her, and she says, it's almost as if she says, I wish I was never even pregnant. After all of that, and God had answered. And we see that she goes to, to God just like Isaac had went. And I like that part of the story. You know why I like that? Because Isaac's the man of the family. He goes to God, and his wife follows him in his example. And I could tell you, I haven't always been that great at that. I haven't always been that great at lifting up. And every single one of us could probably say the same thing. But we need to go to God, and we need to ask him for, for his help. So we see that she has conceived, and we see that she's in trouble. When she goes to God, the amazing thing is God gives her an answer. God tells Rebecca, there are two peoples, two peoples, two nations inside of you. And there's a war happening inside of you. And that the older is going to serve the younger. You know, God does things, and you probably will agree with this, it makes no sense when it comes to the way we think. Because, see, the birthright was due to the oldest. The oldest in the family was the one who was going to have the relationship with God. But God says, no, the youngest here, he's going to be the one that rules over the oldest. So Rebecca knows this. And we see some interesting things here in the story where it says that Isaac loved Esau because of something. He loved him because of what he could get from his son. His son was an amazing outdoorsman. And Isaac loved Esau because of the game that he could get from him. And then it just simply says about Rebekah, Rebekah loved Jacob. See, Rebekah had a pretty good insight there, right, from God, about knowing how things were going to play out. So the two were born And Esau comes out, and the only thing I can think of, around Christmas time, this is a wonderful present, and um, I've never been able to find one that fits me. It's like a snuggle, snuggly, or something like that. I don't know if anyone ever had that. But it goes from your toes, it goes all the way up to your head, and I think it's called a snuggle, snuggly, or something like that. But anyway, that's what he looked like, and it was all red. It's like he was wearing a coat when it came out, and they called him Esau, Harry, Then Jacob comes out, and Jacob is holding on to Esau's heel. And Jacob's name basically means heel. He's a supplanter. He's trying to get what's not his. Here's Esau coming out, and as he's coming out, if you could just picture it in your mind of Jacob holding on to his heel. No, 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 it's mine. I want it. It's mine. But it wasn't his. I mean, he he wouldn't have known that. God has that plan, but he wanted to get something that wasn't his by doing something and getting it in the wrong way. Now, as they grow up, they couldn't be more polar opposites than anything you've ever seen. And if you're in a family, you understand that. You understand that children are not the same. But these guys were so different. I mean, here's Esau, an amazing strapping man out in the woods, killing and bringing back the food to the family. He's the kind of guy you look at and say, wow, that's a man. And then you have Jacob. Jacob loved to stay at home and be in the tents with his mom and cook. That was me. My brothers were out in the car, and they were taking the, the starters out of the car, and I was like, I don't want to get my hands dirty. I was like, inside baking cookies. But you could see how different they are, Right? They are so different. And the birthright was Esau's. He was to be the one that would say, God, I'm your man. Help me, and I will pray for my family. But we see here in this account that God shows us, and he doesn't leave anything out. One day, Esau comes in, and there's his brother cooking stew. And there's Esau. I am weary I am dying. And he comes in and he sees his brother and he's like, please, can I have some stew? And right away, man, Jacob knew him. Well, then sell me your birthright. Give it to me. And you know, Esau, this is the moment. And we may all have moments like this. This is the moment. Esau, don't do it. But he does. He turns around and he says, What good is my birthright? I'm about to die. Now, Esau's not dying. He's not even close to dead. He's a strapping example of medical whatever. He's not going anywhere. But he thinks he's dying. Have you been there? I've been there. I've sat in my car and cried. I'm dying. I want to die. I don't want to do this anymore. And here's Esau but if he just would have called out to God, but he said, I am dying. And Jacob's like, yes, you're dying. Yes, go ahead. I want your birthright. So he says, sell me your birthright. And he does. And he gives him the soup and the stew, and it's like he just eats it. And the Bible says he just, Esau just leaves, and he despises his birthright. And what that says is that Esau hates God. He hated God. He didn't want anything to do with him. But as much as we could say about Jacob, man, that guy was bad. He lied. He stole. He cheated. And I'm not saying that's right. But there's a difference there. Jacob loved God. You know, Jacob had the amazing ability of sitting in the tent and being at home where all the amazing men at that time who were spiritual giants would come in and out of his family's tents And he could sit with them, and he could learn about God. He desired God. He wanted God, but not Esau. Esau did not want to have anything to do with God. And I don't know if you've ever been there, if you've ever been at that point. God, are you there? The point of those bowls when we get to the end is that there are so many things that can come in the way of our relationship with God. That we don't honor our birthright like Esau. That those things, you only have one example. It could be career, it could be anger, it could be hatred, but it's all sin. But sometimes those things get in the way of our relationship that if you're saved and a believer, you cannot lose your relationship with Jesus. Hear me, you cannot lose your relationship. But if you're a believer, you can hinder that relationship. Not living up to what God wants for me and for you not doing the things that we know we're supposed to do. And usually for me, it's when I'm weary and tired. It's when I've got a migraine and I'm done and work is horrible and home is crazy and I've got a minus 28 in my bank account and I'm like, ah, That's when. So this morning, Uh, honoring our birthright. And I'm preaching to myself because I need this probably more than you need it. But standing on the promises of God, walking in the power of God, and taking the path of God. Those are three things as I prayed over the passage that just came out. But please, please read it for yourself. Meditate on it. And ask God to show you what it's saying. But as I looked at it, it's standing on the promises of God. Please turn to Matthew chapter 1. Now, if you want to be blown away, this is amazing. Amazing. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, it says, and I will give you the page number, I'm sorry. 1141. It's amazing, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac, Jacob, and to Jacob, Judah. And again, just look down that list. You have Ruth, you have David. Look at the list of all these people. And you know, every single person that God used is a sinner, and undeserving of God's grace and his mercy. God only uses sinners. What's up with that? He only uses us, and we need him, and he needs us. But in honoring our birthright, we need to understand the line that we come from. It starts with Abraham, and then it ends, it says, and to Jacob was born Joseph, and to the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus. God keeps his promises. He promised that, and it, has came, it, it came to pass. Now we as believers are waiting for Jesus to come back, and that will happen. Who knows when that is, but it will. But look at that list, and look at the people there. David's a murderer. There are liars in here. There are cheats in here. There are people that don't deserve the grace of God. We do not deserve it. But God keeps his promises. You know, Isaac was laying flat on that bed when his father went to sacrifice him on Mount Moria. And that's the same mountain where Jesus was crucified. That's all pointing to Jesus Christ. Our whole lives need to point to Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You know, there's a hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. Standing on the Promises of Christ, my King, through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Now listen, listen to this. Standing on the promises I now can see. Perfect, present, cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Standing on the promises of God. You know, we saying we believe. And we believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross. That he, he was buried and rose again on the third day. And then he shed his blood for us. That's what we believe. It's not some myth. It really happened. And he's really alive. And he really lives inside of us. And you're probably saying, Mark, I know that. Why are you telling me that? I already know it. Because everybody must be born again. And if you know it, we need to live our lives telling that to everybody. And I don't mean, you know, chasing people down and dragging them to the ground and saying, You need Jesus now, or you're going to die. That's not what I mean. I think you know what I mean. I think getting on your knees and saying to God, show me how I could share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people who are in my family, with my wife, with my children, with the people at work. Help me to be a light to the world. Help me, and God will do it. And you'll stand on the promises of God. You know, think of all the promises right now that you've learned from when you were a little kid. Think of all of them. I will never leave you nor forsake you. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. You could call out to Him and He will save you. And the ones in here who know God know that. You know that you're saved, you have assurance. You know where you're going. You know you're going to heaven. And you know that whatever happens here, whatever it is, the loss of loved ones, loss of a job, financial ruin, you are saved and going to heaven. And you will be with your Savior forever. And so will I. That means more than anything. And we want to take as many people as we can with us. You don't save people, God does. We don't do it, he does. But he only uses you and I to do it. That's his rule, not mine. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. And David said this before. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That is an amazing promise. Nothing means nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Know he loves you and know that nothing can separate you from God. You know, I already mentioned that I could sit in my car and I could cry and I could be weary, but God always brings me back. And there's an amazing story of Martin Luther. And his wife had an amazing way of waking him up. It was at breakfast. See, Martin Luther had been depressed. So depressed for three days in the darkest, deepest depression you would ever know. And his wife knew this. So she came to breakfast one morning wearing funeral clothes, all in black. Came down and sat at the table. Martin Luther looked at her and said, uh, Who died? God died. What do you mean, God died? He got angry. God doesn't die. Well, you sure could have fooled me the way that you're living, Martin. You are living as if God is dead. Now, if you know who I'm talking about, Martin Luther, if that can happen to him, it can happen to anybody. We need to celebrate the promises of God. And thank goodness for our spouses who wake us up when we need to be woken up. You know, I love to find out stories of other people. I love to hear about other people and what God does in their lives. And how somebody was living so opposite of what God would want in the worst situations. And there's a uh, a group called Flyleaf. And I think it's a heavy metal band that's probably Christian. It's called Flyleaf and her name is Lacey Sturm. Well, I learned about her and she gave her testimony. And Lacey gave her testimony saying that she didn't want to have anything to do with God and that her family member had beaten to death her cousin. And she'd never gotten over it. And she wanted to kill herself. She wanted to commit suicide. She was 16, strained from her parents. So she snuck into her grandmother's house thinking no one would be there. And as grandmas would do, grandmas are always there. Grandmas always know. And grandma was there. And her grandmother was there and said, something's wrong with you. You need to go to church. I'm not going to church. I don't even like Christians. I hate Christians. I'm not going, she said. So her grandmother, thank goodness, it might sound bad, but started to scream at her, started to yell at her. So Lacey said, if you would just shut up, I'll go. But she said, it's my last day to herself on earth. I don't want my last day to be you yelling at me, so I'll go with you. So she gets to church, and an amazing thing happens. The pastor actually says this. There is a suicidal spirit in here. Come up here now. So she said, no way. My pride and my arrogance, I'm not going up there. I'm not going anywhere near there. So she didn't go. She ran out the back into a man who said, God knows you. He loves you. He knows you never had a father. He's your father. Can I pray for you? And he put her, his hand on her, and he prayed, and she said and she felt the power of God. She is an amazing witness for God this day. She was going to end her life that day and never be here again and be in hell, and not have a relationship with God. And yet God used that situation. That's one, one instance. And then what about other people, how they come to the Lord in seemingly very subtle ways? Like, oh, I woke up, I wasn't a Christian, and wow, I know Jesus. And you know, C.S. Lewis had many people praying for him. All these intellectual giants who were praying for C.S. Lewis, and he didn't even really know it, and they prayed for him. And he got to the point where he bowed his knee and he said, I believe there is a God, but I just can't get past the fact that there's a Jesus Christ who died on the cross for me. That I don't really get. So he was on a motorbike. His brother was riding a motorcycle and C.S. Lewis was in the sidecar. And they were riding and he said, I left one town and I got to the next town. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross was buried, rose again for me. So, and I'm sure every one of you here who have come to the saving faith in Jesus Christ have different stories, amen? And we could all share your testimony with people if God gives you the chance to do that. Listen to this in Isaiah. This is our memory verse. I'm not going to test you, but this is the memory verse. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him to our God for he will abundantly, abundantly pardon. There are two things I thought about this week though. One, you need to know that you need God. Our hearts and minds are blinded. At work, I gave an assessment to somebody and I I said, here's an assessment for you. You need to tell me how great you are. And they had little boxes, and it said, you know, uh, grade yourself. So she had to grade herself. So she came back, and I got it, and I looked at it, and there were like 12 boxes, and next to it was basically what she said is, I'm amazing, I'm amazing, I'm amazing, I'm amazing, I'm amazing, and I'm amazing. So I looked at it, and I said, okay, You know, and I wrote a little note, excellent, but can you please provide me in each box a way that you can improve yourself? I gave it back to her. She gave it back to me. Matter of fact, she gave it back to me in my office going, I don't understand. I said, well, you know, I look at the boxes and I need improvement. I've been doing this for 25 years and every box I can improve. I can't improve. I'm like, what do you mean you can't improve? No, I I don't get it. (laughs) Okay, let's try this over again. In the box is just right a way that you can improve yourself. You know, like maybe you're not a great delegate. I'm a great delegator. Okay, how about, you know, sometimes when you need help, I don't need help. We need to understand that each one of us needs God's help. And you will never come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ if you don't think you need help. And God's Holy Spirit is the one that shows you that. But you could cry out to him and say, God, show me your spirit. The other thing is that God keeps impressing upon me is I do not know when God will come back. And people, you know, they they think about, the end times and they spend so much time on that but you know that the end times is whenever god takes you from this earth and that could be when i leave this place and i go in the parking lot and one of you are thinking of lunch not looking where you're going and you hit me and then i'm in heaven it could be any time any time life is a vapor and i witnessed to one of my brothers one time and he said no nah, not today maybe tomorrow If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you hear him calling and knocking, he gives you, you know, I've heard pastors say this before, that God is giving you an invitation. Come to me. Come to me. All those who are weary and heavy laden, God wants to have a relationship with you. Come to me. Don't wait. That is only pride and arrogance. And for me, that pride and arrogance was eight years long of the worst eight years that I've ever had and never want to go back and praise God I don't ever have to go back. The second point is walking in the power of God. My daughter Emma has her favorite verse. It's Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God. God has so much power, we have no idea. We can't even fathom it. In Genesis 25, 23, it says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And as we already said, Esau was the older one. He was the hairy one. He was the one out in in the woods. He was a man of flesh. And Jacob was the man of spirit. See, but God, in 1 Corinthians, it says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. Dr. Vernon McGee said, he says it this way, just like Esau was flesh and Jacob's spirit, we have two natures inside of us, each one of us here. Paul said, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. These are the two natures of the believer. The new nature and the old nature, they are opposed to each other. And you have that war going on inside of you just like I do. But there is great and awesome news. In 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Do You know, God is so strong that nothing Can touch you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, not death. I can't wait to die because I will be in the presence of my Lord and Savior. You know, it's been said that the ones that have the most impact on this world are the ones that are stayed on heaven. They're not stayed on on the earth. They're not thinking about everything here, they're thinking about everything there. Those are the ones. And I hope it's us that have the greatest impact on the world. We know where we're going. And if you don't know where you're going, call out to God. Not one person here can save you. I can't save you. They can't save you. Your parents can't save you. Your brother can't save you. Not your soul. Maybe your body, but not your soul. Only God can save your soul. Only God could bring your soul back to life because he has the power to do. Now, the last point is taking the path of God. In verse 29, it says, When Jacob had cooked the stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. You see, that thing he did that day? It ruined his life, and it ruined the life of everyone that came from him. It wasn't just like, okay, I don't want to be a part of God. I don't love God. It affected everybody around him, and your sin and my sin affects everybody around us. But Jacob said, first tell me me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. We already stated he wasn't dying. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went on his way Thus, Esau despised his birthright. You know, taking the right path is so important. And if you live in Centereach Lake Grove, you know Hammond Road. Hammond Road has got to be about a mile and a half long, maybe longer. And I keep taking that road. And I'll ride down that road. matter of fact, I I tortured my daughter, Kara, to actually learn to drive on that road. And if you know that road, it's like the narrowest thing. And in some parts, it actually looks, I mean, the trees are down. And anyway, she's not happy with me. But if you take that road, it's unique in the way that there's so many roads, but the roads... Nine out of ten of them say dead end. Dead end. See, but when I ride my, ba- my bike and I'm tired, like now, and, and, I, and I don't want to go to the end, I want to do a shortcut, sometimes the signs are down. I know it's a dead end. Somebody knocked the sign off. I know it's a dead end, but I go anyway. Anyway. And I get to the end and I go, why did I take this? You see, so many people do that. They take the dead end. And they might even know it's a dead end. I hate that road. Hate it. It's so frustrating. People take dead ends. In the bank, I get to hear the most amazing, stupid, idiotic stories you've ever heard for people who just don't think. But I heard a bank executive, I actually went for an interview, and I don't know why he decided to tell me this, but I sat down, and he decided to tell me, you know, we had $10,000 that we lost. We put it in someone else's account. I said, oh, what happened? He said, you know, when we approached the person when we finally found it, we said, you know, you have $10,000 in your account that's ours. And he's like, well... I don't have I don't have it anymore. Well, the police said to him, Well, well, tell us what happened to the money. Well, I prayed to God. You see, I have horrible financial issues. I'm in desperate need. So I prayed to God, and one day I woke up and there was ten thousand dollars in my account. Thank you, God. Well, what did you do with the money? Um, I bought a large screen TV, like like half the size of this. And then I went and bought one for my girlfriend. The police were like, are you kidding? And I'm sure he's maybe not out of jail yet. But do you see how people take the wrong path? They do the stupidest things. And I could tell you stuff, people coming into the bank and, and robbing the bank and writing the note on the back of their personal check that has their name and their address on the front. So, you know, taking the wrong path. Don't take those paths. Dr. McGee again says he didn't sell his birthright because he was so hungry that he was about to perish, but because he was in, I'm sorry, but because his was a desire of the flesh and he was willing to trade. Listen, listen, he was willing to trade all his spiritual heritage for the whim of a moment, for the whim of a moment. You know, a month doesn't go by when I don't hear of some spiritual leader where they, they either cheated on, the, on their wife or they did this or they did that. The whim of the moment, the desire of the moment. And it doesn't have to be a spiritual leader. It could be any one of us taking the wrong path. It was the whim of the moment that ruined Esau's whole life. He was the man who had the birthright. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the birthright. You have the ability to go to God, get on your knees and cry out to him. And he will communicate with you. And you could read his holy word living sharper than any two-edged sword. We have been honored by God to be able to communicate with him. And sometimes I fall miserably short with that. But he had a covenant with God. In effect, this is what Esau said. I would rather have a bowl of soup than have a relationship with God. It could be pleasure, money, drugs, whatever it is. Now listen to Hebrews 12. We're almost done. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected For he found no peace for repentance, but he sought it with tears. See, instead of holding out for a permanent, priceless inheritance, Esau placed a higher value on temporary physical satisfaction. In so doing, Esau swapped his birthright, what turned out to be the most expensive bowl of soup in all of mankind. Let's not do that ourselves. Let's keep striving in the spirit to serve God and to love him. Now, I I did say that I was going to tell you what the bowls were for, but I guess you could guess it at this point. You have a bowl in your hand. You know, Esau took a bowl of soup, and in that bowl, maybe there's something there. There's anger or hatred or unforgiveness, and it doesn't have to be to you. I, I don't know you. I didn't say, oh, this one's for, you know, this person. I have no idea. Matter of fact, my bowl would have all of them in there. But the point is, if you ripped those little tags off, and I'm sure you did, because if it was me, I would have ripped them off a long time ago. And it says, This is very unusual. Somebody yell out, what does it say? Amen. Amen. It either says Jesus loves me or Jesus loves you. And what you should do with that bowl, you could either leave it here and I'll pick it up later, or you could bring it home with you, but use it as a reminder that God loves you and nothing can separate his love from you. But if you are a believer and know Jesus Christ, please ask God how you could share that with somebody else. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would say cry out to him and ask him to show himself to you, and he will. See, all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, I raised my hand about 26 years ago in this church after giving an inv- someone gave an invitation, but it really was alone in my bedroom by myself crying out to God. So nobody could save you, but go to God if he's calling you and cry out to him. And pray to him and tell him that you're sorry for your sins and that you know that he died for you and that he rose again. And make that commitment. If you're a believer, make the commitment to live your life to share the gospel until he comes and until you die. That people in your life will know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, I think that um, a lot of things I was going to say I didn't say. But the one thing I need to say is thank you. Thank you that you would love me so much and that you would love everybody here so much that you would give your one and only son. May we never, ever give up our birthright. May we live fully in the spirit of the of your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live our lives, to honor and glorify you. Whatever that is for us, because it's different for every person. And for the ones that don't know you, Father, that came in this morning and said, what in the world is this guy saying? And for some strange reason, they didn't leave. Father, may you pierce their hearts. May they cry out to you and ask for the forgiveness of their sins. May you hear them as your great promise says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Jesus' awesome name, amen.